Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Got a tweet from Here for the LOLs. I love that name. That's cool. Here for the LOLs at trolling247365. That's his Twitter account. I respect that. Said, ooh, was listening to you on the radio and wanted to text you because I knew you were talking about Chris Warren III. Man, I had high hope for that guy too. I'm telling you, man, when you start thinking about some of these names of guys who you thought were going to be players by what they did in the preseason, training camp, the hype that they got, and then all of a sudden finds out that they ended up doing nothing. And then you think, oh, man, that guy's going to go to this team and kill it. And then they don't do anything there. Then you realize, oh, yeah, okay, never mind. Not that big a deal. Got one from East Bay Raider Gray. Q, I got one for you. Back in the day, I think it was 99. Scott drives back at quarterback. He was lighting up the preseason, couldn't stay healthy, kept getting injured. I'm not even going to lie. First of all, thank you for the text. I don't even remember that cat. Like, I really don't remember that cat. <laughs> that shows you how much I paid attention to him. But you actually did a little bit of deep diving into him during the commercial break. And DeMond is great at this. If he don't know, he's just going to go ahead and Google it. And Or if it comes to a moment where I'm like, man, you remember this guy? And I start describing him, he'll be able to pull up who it is. He's just he's very good at that. I got to give him a lot of credit. And you pulled it up, and you're like, man, this dude can't catch a break. <laughs> exactly. Yo, he went, he's from the University of Michigan. He was injured in college, lost a starting job to uh, – Brian Greasy. Greasy. Brian Greasy. Yeah, Brian me. Greasy. And then he's going to be a senior. That's supposed to hey, I'm the big man on campus. This yeah. is my year. Loses the starting job to Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, can't get right. Can't catch a break either. No. I mean, this guy, yeah. he's looking at Tom Brady like, hey, it wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for me. Right. No doubt. No doubt. We got another text from the 925 Kenny Shedd. I remember the wide receiver Kenny Shedd. I thought he was going to be, thought he was going to be a big time kick returner. I remember Kenny Shedd. I liked him a little. I, I, yeah, that was a good one. Thank you for that text. And then Operator Raider said, how about Forgotten Raiders? I'll go first. Lamont Jordan. Remember Lamont Jordan? And I just had to give DeMond a little history of Lamont Jordan. And uh, again, as, as he does so well, he jumps on the Google and looks at it and says, man, he had 1,000-yard season. Hell, he had 70 catches that year. Hell, I mean, I remember Lamont Jordan when the Raiders signed him as a free agent out of, out of New York. He was uh, Curtis Martin's backup. One, I was excited because I thought, man, that's a good one-two punch right there between Curtis Martin and uh, Lamont Jordan. And he did play well that first year. You know, he had over 1,000 yards. He had, what, 11 total touchdowns. I mean, he, he played his tail off. And then DeMond was talking about how many catches he had, and it immediately made me think of Charlie Garner. And that year that Charlie Garner was just phenomenal. My guy had over 900-something yards receiving, over 900-something yards rushing. I mean, that dude was Christian McCaffrey before Christian McCaffrey. Right, He was that stinking good. And, of course, any 49er fan knows Charlie Garner really well. But, man, he was a stud. And and I told DeMontis that was John Gruden's offense. Hold on, real quick. Um, back to that 05 season with Lamont Jordan. <laughs> what was the uh, deal with Kerry Collins? Did he just not like Randy Moss? Because he, Lamont Jordan had more receptions <laughs> than Randy Moss. Kerry Collins was a weird, weird dude. I mean, I, to this day, I don't understand a lot about Kerry Collins. I'll just say that. I know he had a really strong arm. And I remember when Randy Moss was traded for, and I thought, man, Randy Moss, the boss, he's going to be the dude. You know, I just, I just, I saw, all I could see is Kerry Collins just letting that thing rip and Randy go getting it. And he never did that. And I remember one game, and I don't remember who it was against, 
But he threw that ball up over the middle, and he kind of floated it, and Randy went up to get it because, well, Randy's going to go up and get it. And he came down weird on his tailbone, and you could tell he got injured. He was never the same dude after that. It's almost like he went to the sideline and was like, well, blank that guy. He just tried to get me killed. I'm, I can't remember what game it was. It might not even have been – damn it, I don't remember what game it was. I remember I was at work, though. I was at, I was at Q97 because I was watching. I had a little TV in the studio, and I was watching the game while I was supposed to be doing my, my show. Imagine that. And I remember getting excited because I think Randy Moss had a touchdown that game. And so I ran up and down the hallway yelling, talking trash. And then immediately afterwards, he threw up a ball that was just a terrible pass, and Randy got hurt. And he was just never the same after that. But Kerry Collins was always a real – I mean, you know, I know everyone says once a Raider, always a wet Raider. I crossed that dude off that list. <laughs> I wouldn't count – I wouldn't send him a care package. <laughs> I, I wouldn't give him a brick outside of Legion. <laughs> I didn't even like him when he became the Titans starting quarterback. Oh, because by that time, the, his career was almost over, right? Yeah, but he they, they had a season. They went 12-3. and three, Oh, made really? The playoffs. He made the, play, the Pro oh, Bowl okay. that year. Okay. But he took the job from Vince Young, and that guy was supposed to be the future. Yeah, well, his head coach didn't even want him. <laughs> his head coach didn't even want him. Unfortunately, the case is Jeff Fisher was given Vince Young. He never wanted Vince Young, ever, ever. Vince was a whole different dude. Vince was a Raider for a minute. Remember that? Well, I don't. <laughs> he wasn't he signed in the preseason. He was signed. He was. I swear, he was signed in the preseason to the Raiders. And I remember everyone was like, "Oh, Q, you got Vince Young." I was like, "Come on, man." That ain't really Vince Young. Like, that's not the real deal. I can't remember when it was, but wasn't he signed in the preseason? I'm not. I'm not seeing this. Really? I'm not seeing it. I could have sworn he was signed in the preseason. Like, he never made it to the regular season. I could be wrong. His last stop was uh, Cleveland, 2014. May 1st, got signed. May 12th, released. I could have sworn he had a, uh, a cup of coffee with the Raiders. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. It's happened before. I could have sworn. Oh, well. Anyway. Your Little League ser- World Series beef. <laughs> no, I don't have time to do it right now. Do oh, I? okay. I mean. No, I'll, I'll go off on that. These I, coaches I, get to live another day. Right. I got a bunch more texts to get to. I want to really get to all these. And, man, it's a lot of good feedback. I, I got to do some more research on that vid, Sean. I could have sworn. Maybe was he a camp body? Did he go in for a, a, a camp visit? Vince did something with the Raiders. I don't know what it was, though. Obviously, I don't know what it was because he can't find it. I could have sworn he did something. I'm about to call up. I'm about to call up Mark Davis. Mark, can you fact check me here? I've got one Vince Young NFL.com story. Okay. Vince Young impresses an Oakland Raiders workout. Oh, okay. Uh, there it is. He he worked out. He worked. <laughs> My bad. When what year was that? 2013. Exactly. Look, man, that was like almost 10 years ago. My bad. Well, at least I I knew that he had some kind of reference with the Raiders. There you go. So maybe he was never part of the team officially, but. He had a workout, and he impressed, apparently, according to NFL.com. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Bailed me out. I like that. I could appreciate that. So, so 702. Hold on three. real quick, CBS Sports. Raiders no longer interested in Vince Young. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's unbelievable. My bad. 702-365-9200. Who do you think needs this week's preseason game the most to hold on to their roster spot? That's been the question that we've been asking. Got plenty to get to. I did want to get to a couple cover three uh, news and notes real quick, and uh, then we'll get to my Little League story because uh, I do have beef. A couple injuries. Training camp is always about injuries. It happens. It sucks. Nobody likes it. Uh, Jakeem Grant, I'm a big Jakeem Grant guy. He tore his Achilles for Cleveland, so he's out for the season. This is his second major 
injury that he's had and has missed a, a lot of time. He was a dude, man. He's about your size. And I'm not trying to be, like, funny. He's about your size. I remember when he was on undrafted, and he thought literally he was going to go out undrafted out of Texas Tech, and the Dolphins drafted him. I think every Raider fan should know who Jakeem Grant is because it seems like every time he's on the field, he does something big against the Raiders, some kind of big punt return, some kind of big kick return. He has got speed for days. So I hate that, seeing that he tore his Achilles and he is out for the season. Uh, he's a big-time weapon that will not be there in Cleveland. Uh, Danny Shelton, I mentioned earlier in the show, he signed with the Chiefs. That was on yesterday. Roquan Smith, he demanded a trade yesterday. And then the Bears today activated him off the pup list. So a lot of people say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means he's off the pup list. So he's still there at training camp. He's still there demanding a trade. He wants big-time money. You know the situation with Roquan Smith, and I know a lot of Raider fans want the Raiders go out and make a move for Roquan. I don't think that that's going to happen. I really don't. That's why I haven't really addressed it. I don't think that that's something that's realistic. I look at the situation in Chicago. I don't think that they're going to re-sign him. I, don't think, I think that they are going to trade him. I don't know where they're going to trade him to, but all I could picture going on in Chicago right now with their new GM, their new head coach, questions about their quarterback, questions about the team, doesn't look like they're in a position to win right now, right? All I could picture, and I know Raider fans get sick even when you think about it, all I could picture is the Khalil Mack situation with the Raiders. The team is not where it needs to be. Let's go ahead and tear this thing down to the the nuts and bolts, get a bunch of draft capital, and rebuild this thing up. That's what I think is going on in Chicago. I really do. And Roquan Smith is fantastic. I think there's 32 teams in the league that should want Roquan Smith, including the Bears. If he wasn't made for Chicago, I don't know who is. You start thinking about linebackers in the history of the league, Chicago's the place where they play. Roquan Smith should never leave Chicago. He really shouldn't. But I think ultimately he will because I think that they're going to try to flip this thing around and try to get as much draft capital as possible, not pay him the boatload of money that they have to, and see what they can do in the draft. Now, as Raider fans know, just because you flip a guy for a bunch of picks don't mean that you're going to build it back up with a bunch of great Players, I mean, at the end of the day, I hate to sound this way, but the Raiders got five first-round draft picks for Khalil Mack, and they got Josh Jacobs out of that. You know, I mean, really. He's the last of the Mohicans. He's the last man standing. I know Cleef Earl's still on the team. I know Jonathan Abram's still on the team. But there's questions about them, and, and, and Josh Jacobs, you know, at least he's giving you good production, right? He's been a good player. There's been questions about the other two. And the other two aren't on the team no more for one reason or the other. Ultimately, that five first-round draft pick that was going to turn things around didn't really work. When you put it like that. I mean, that's the only way you can put it. you know. And I said this when the trade happened, and I was very angry that day. I remember it was a Saturday. It was actually a late Friday night, early Saturday morning. (laughs) I remember it like it was yesterday. Just because you're given more chances at bat don't mean that you're going to get a hit or a home run I mean I can go up to bat nine times but doesn't mean that I'm going to get a hit five times or six I might only get one or two hits I can go up to bat 10 times and hit the ball twice end up batting 200 guess what that's not very good it's only good in baseball and it's not even good in baseball 300 is good in baseball (laughs) you know what I mean like I said it then I understood the theory I understood what they were doing didn't like it. I understood what they were doing. It just didn't work out the way that you expect. And that happens a lot. You know, remember the Rams? 
Remember the draft capital that that they got in return for uh, from Washington when Washington wanted to get RG three? They traded up to go get RG three. They got a boatload of picks. You know what they did with them? Nothing. Not too much. They really didn't. Immediately at, at first they didn't. They finally got you know they had the 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 round where they had two first round picks and they ended up getting Aaron Donald because they had another pick and that worked out very well. But for the most part they didn't they didn't capitalize on that. A lot of teams that end up trading up or, you know, they end up going and getting their player and they really like it and like that player, that team that gets a boatload of picks, doesn't always work out. So, there you go. Uh, Rob in Oakland said, Q, I'm pretty sure Randy Moss got hurt against the Chargers. I remember that deep throw and Moss fell on his backside with his legs out and one of the defensive backs landed on the groin. I think think Moss got hurt right then and there, then quit for the rest of the season. There you go. Hey, if there's one cat that'll remember, it's Rob in Oakland. But that was that was exactly what happened. Because I remember when it happened, I was like, oh, he's hurt. And he basically just he threw up the deuces for the rest of the season. Good, good call. Good call, Rob. I appreciate that. Uh got another text from the 909, Terrell Pryor. Man, I got my own Terrell Pryor stories. I got good and bad Terrell Pryor stories. But yeah, he was a guy that I thought for a minute the Raiders found their next quarterback, right? I think he was ahead of his time. He wasn't as polished, obviously, as as he needed to be to play quarterback in the NFL. But he was kind of the the trend before the trend started. You know, I think that I think Al Davis was onto something when he went and made that move. And I remember when he was in the in that uh, compens- not compensatory draft, but the uh, supplemental draft. I remember saying, I remember calling my mom. I was like, man, you know that guy at Ohio State sure would be cool if they went and got that guy. And then they did. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a genius. Just didn't work out. He had the wheels. He just didn't have the study habit. He didn't have the study habit and the, the work ethic. Just didn't have it. How did I learn he didn't have the study habit and the work ethic? When I interviewed him. When I interviewed him, it was one of the worst interviews ever. And not because of me. It was one of the worst interviews ever because of him. Go on. Oh, man. It was terrible. It was terrible. Like, we had set this thing. It was on Radio Row. It was in Atlanta, matter of fact. And I had set it up. We had it a couple days in advance. He sees me. Hey, you know, you ready for the interview? Yeah, let's go. Let's knock it out. Uh, I had a show going on at this time at my at my table, so I was like, hey, I'll just stand to the side here and interview. He's like, okay, cool. Man, I ask him the first question, and then, you know, when you get no answer and you're like, what's going on? I look over at him. He's definitely on his phone, texting with his girl because his girl and him had just got into a fight. Shocking, right? Fast forward to a common day, modern day. How many times does, how many times does uh, Terrell Pryor and his girl get into fights? Like massive fights. This is the same girl that he got into it with in a major way where she ended up like stabbing him a bunch of times. And he ended up, remember when he ended up in the hospital and everything? I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, that, this is that same girl. Anyway, they, they have a very toxic relationship, which I do not, you know, I do not root for anyone to have that. That's terrible. But he's texting back and forth with her. We're, so then I was like, all right, you ready? So I, I, I reset. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. So let me get going. He answers a little bit. I was like, hey, man, you, you know, like I'm like, you, you, you want to do this or no? He's like, man. Yeah, me and my girl got into it last night. Like, he starts going into it about him Him and his girl got into it last night. He's like, I'm just not focused. And, you know, like, we're always getting into it. Like, he goes into this explanation about how they're always getting into it. This and how, is a great interview. No, it's not. I can't air that. Oh. I'm not going to air that. I'm not going to put someone's dirty laundry on the air, even though I'm doing it now. But, I mean, you know, I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put him out this there. This turned into a therapy session. You no. could have helped the brother out. No. Uh, yeah, I helped the brother out. was like, all right, man, I hope everything works out well. <laughs> Look, man. Tell me more is what you should have said. No. Let's talk about this. No. Brother. What he should be doing is he's a free agent. He's around all these different people. He should be working, trying to get his name out there, trying to get himself back out there so he can get a job. Instead, 
He's beefing with the same girl that he's been beefing with for years. At some point, it's not going to work. At some point, you got to look at the relationship and say, you know what? You're better off without me, and I'm much better off without you. And you just break. You just got to do it sometimes. Terrell Pryor can never do it. And so anyway, long story short, he was never able to focus on anything. He always was like sidetrack, triple sidetrack, quadruple sidetrack with something else going on, never able to do anything. I don't know if he would have been good even if his work ethic was great. Just never end up being that guy. 77 catches, 1,000 yards, one season in Cleveland. Yeah, exactly. One season. What did he do the next season after he signed a free agent deal? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Everyone thought, oh, man, this guy's converted into a wide receiver. He's going to be the dude. Just couldn't get it done. Couldn't. Couldn't. Fo- well, didn't he go to Cincinnati after that? The next stop after that was Washington. Okay, my bad. How'd that work? 20 catches. <laughs> right. That's a big drop-off. It's a big difference, dog. Big difference. Then where did he go after that? They probably well, they probably wouldn't use him. Right. Exactly. What, happened, what, happened, what about after that? Entertain me. The Jets, actually. Okay, and what did he do there? You can't gather this all at the same time? Hold on, Q. He got traded. Uh, something happened where he played for two teams that season. <laughs> but uh, I wonder why. 16 receptions for all total on the year. There you go. See, you see what the trend is? Down. See how it's trending? Down. See what's going on here? The common theme? Down. Not good. No bueno. Not playing well. Not living up to his expectations. Team's not wanting him anymore. Oh, I see what happened here. So he was on the Jets that season, got cut, and then the Bills (laughs) signed him. Okay. But still only 16 receptions on the year. There you go. See what happens? You know what happens with quality players? They stick on the team. And their their numbers don't go down and down and down. But Q, I'm just saying, you wanted to talk about maybe that 93-yard run, but he wanted to open up to you about some struggles that was going on in his life. Struggle's real for everybody, brother. <laughs> Struggle's real for everybody. 418 is the time. We'll get to more of your texts and more of your calls when we come back. Plus, we got Arif Hassan coming up from The Athletic at 430 to talk all things Vikings. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Coming up at 430, we'll be talking to Arif Hassan. Talking all things Minnesota Vikings as they'll be the next team up on the preseason schedule for the Silver and Black. They'll host them at Allegiant Stadium coming up on Sunday. Uh, got my, I got a call that I want to get to, and I'll get to it in just a quick second. I just wanted to make a one-click quick clarification just in case anyone misunderstood. Uh, my man, uh, Shashi. Shashi. I always say his name wrong. Shashi. <laughs> I don't know how. That's not that hard. It's like five letters. No, six. But still, it's not that difficult. I always get his name wrong. Sorry, Shashi. See, I got it there. I just have to say it like, Shashi. I got to say it fast. <laughs> That's how I say names that I'm going to mess up all the time. Shashi. But if I say it more than like five more times, I'll have someone call and say that I was making fun of his name, which I wasn't. But I've had that call before. So I have to be careful. So Shashi, I'm not making fun of your name. I just say it wrong. So I'm actually making fun of myself. Because I promise you, Demond, someone's going to call and be like, man, Q always makes fun of his name. I've gotten that call. promise you. But... I was talking about Khalil Mack, and I was talking about, you know, how the whole rebuild happened with, you know, Gruden and everything and having five first-round picks. I was talking about in all, in general, that the Raiders ultimately ended up with five first-round picks that they got Josh Jacobs out of. That was Mack. That was Coop. That was, you know, the Raiders having their first-round picks. But ultimately, in back-to-back drafts, they had a total of five first-round picks, and they got Josh Jacobs out of it, which I think is a really good player. I was excited about that. That was one that I I handpicked myself. Like, I was excited. I was, hey, that's the running back that they need to go get. So not mad at that at all. But everything else, none of, nothing else really worked out. 
So just because you have all those first-round picks doesn't mean that you are going to hit on it. Uh, let's go out to the phone lines real quick, talk to our guy, Raider Dave in Denver. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Uh, you just bring up Cooper's name. Let's, let's be honest. A first-round pick for Cooper was not a first-round pick for Tim Brown. Hey, Cooper right. was no Heisman Trophy. No, winner. that was a steal. But, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, but still, uh, I wanted to say, because you had talked about earlier, who you want to see ball out and, and uh, see, make, you know, see if they can make the team. And my pick would be either Phillips or Cosby. I think both those guys have a lot of heart, and I want to see more from them. You know, I, I think that uh, I don't really have anybody on the offense that I could really speak to, but I think those two guys, it would really, really be good. And, and if, well, the offense, I guess, see Billy White shoes. I mean, that guy's <laughs> got to learn to high point the ball, bro. Yep. He's got to have ups. If he high pointed that underthrown ball, it wouldn't have been bouncing off his earlobe and his shoulder and his hands in the ground. Right. Big facts. Big facts. Thank you for the call, my man. Good stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, some of these guys, these younger guys have an opportunity to showcase themselves, but when they get that chance, they got to they gotta come through. You know, they really do. And, and there are some uh, some younger cats, like you mentioned, you're talking about Cosby, you know, talking about a couple other guys, that they have an, an opportunity to make the squad. And I'm not saying they're, these guys are going to carve out starting roles, but they have an opportunity to just make the team in in, in a variety of ways and, and showing that they could be versatile, like what – GM Dave Ziegler and Joshua Daniels and company are looking for. They're looking for those versatile dudes. They want to find guys that can be, uh, you know, just valuable to the team. You've got to continue to find valuable players, guys that could do more than one thing. And if you can only do one thing, GM Dave Ziegler said it but best himself, they better be damn good at it. If that's the only thing they can do, they better be the best of the best. Uh, Big Deuce hit us up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. The player I was hyped on was Cooper's friend, Johnny. Unfortunately, I can't remember his last name, having a brain fart. Oh, uh, it was Johnny uh, Holland. Was it Johnny Holland? I know who you're talking about. It, that was Coop's friend. Uh, it was Johnny. It was Johnny something. Johnny H. <laughs> Johnny H. We'll call him Johnny H. But, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. Thought he was going to be able to do uh, really well. There was another wide receiver, now that you bring him up, that a lot of people thought because he had some speed. And he even made the he made the the fifty three man roster, but he really never got into action. Man, I, I hate that. I, it, that's that just lets you know how how memorable they were. Like you you knew that they were there, but you just don't remember who they were. Johnny Holton is Holton. the uh, Johnny H. You're thinking about. Thank you, Johnny Holton. There's Demond on the spot again. There was another guy that was really fast, and he I think he was a really good dude in general, like a really good guy. Like he he um. I think he did a bunch of things in the community and stuff like that. Like, he was a really good guy. I don't think it was the same dude, but he was really fast, and a lot of people wanted to make sure that he made the team. And he made the team, then he was released, and then he came back, and uh, he ended up getting signed by someone else, but uh, he never ended up being anything major either. So uh, it happens. Like I said, it happens every single training camp, every single preseason. I think every team has that one guy that stands out and then – turns into be a whole lot of nothing. So right now we're going to talk some Minnesota Vikings. We have our guy Arif Hassan on the line from The Athletic. And Arif, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We appreciate you, my man. And the Raiders have already played one preseason game. I know the Vikings have not, but just looking at camp so far, what is what has it been like? What's the vibe there in Minnesota? Yeah, it's a lot more fun, I think. Uh, I, was, I was talking to a couple of people uh, around training camp, and I think you know, kind of one way to characterize it is, you know, a lot of the players – 
they had to be buttoned up. They went to, uh, it's like they were going to a private school, now they're going to a public school. I think players are a lot looser uh, and and, uh, and got like a lot more opportunity for like self-expression, and I think that kind of energy has carried itself through. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota goes on from Mike Zimmer to Kevin O'Connell, and I don't exactly know how old he is, but he doesn't look like he's very old. So, uh, you know, I don't want to say pressure because that's, that's a, I guess that's an easy way of uh, framing it, but, you know, what kind of, what kind of backing does does Coach O'Connell have there in Minnesota? Like, what? How is the team approaching him? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the team, the organization, top down, is obviously like fully behind him, and he's got a lot of leeway in terms of the way that he kind of wants to construct the team, the way that he wants to bring in players, the way that you know they set up practice schedules and everything. And so, from the perspective of like the top down, you know, he's got a lot of freedom. You know, they're they're giving him kind of a lot of tools to work with, and I think part of the reason. They even hired Quasi Adolfo Mensa in the first place is because there was an expectation they'd be able to bring in somebody like Kevin O'Connell. And so um, they, they've prioritized him a lot. And then from the bottom up, you take a look at these players. Uh, the players really enjoy the atmosphere that, that has been you know created uh, that allows them not just to you know be a little bit looser and have a little bit more fun, but also um, to you know send suggestions, you know, what works, what doesn't, have direct feedback on kind of what elements of an offense or defense are working out and what aren't. Has there been any conversation or how much conversation has there been around the fact that he played in New England under Josh McDaniels as the offensive coordinator and now he's a head coach going to go up against Josh McDaniels this week? Uh, we haven't had an opportunity to ask him about that, actually. Um, I'm sure it'll come up in the next presser, uh, you know, in a couple of days from now. I think they wanted to treat, you know, starting uh, today, you know, uh, like a game week uh, ahead of the Raiders game. And I think we'll be able to get some of those questions in um, later on. But, you know, certainly we've asked a bunch of questions about, you know, Bill Belichick over time. We've asked a bunch of questions about working with Tom Brady. I mean, this is just kind of a natural docker. It's funny. It's so funny because it, it came up in a presser that we were at uh, here at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center uh, when we were talking to head coach Josh McDaniel. Someone brought up, and I forget who it was, but they said, wait, didn't didn't Coach O'Connell play for you guys in New England? And he just kind of <laughs> laughed and said, yeah, I guess that means I'm getting old. But, I mean, that's pretty funny I mean, because he was the OC and O'Connell was the quarterback, and now – now they're going to be squaring up against each other on Sunday. Yeah, it'll be a pretty interesting meeting in the minds. And, you know, I've always thought of Josh McDaniels as kind of like a uh, one of the younger coaches. That's not really true. He's been around for quite a while. So mm-hmm. I guess this is kind of inevitable, huh? Right, no doubt. Again, we're talking with Arif Hassan from The Athletic, talking all things Vikings here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man demond has got one for you. Yeah, we've seen it with all of the first-year head coaches that are for previous offensive coordinators, Mike McDaniel in Miami, Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Is Kevin O'Connell, is he facing those same questions about being a first-time play caller? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, this came up a, a lot more kind of earlier in the off-season cycle. We haven't talked about it that much, but, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, hey, in the preseason, how are you going to handle play calling as a head coach? What's that going to look like? Are you going to be able to, you know, interface with the players? Are you going to be able to handle game management? And he's answered some of these questions. You know, he said, you know, we've brought in somebody specifically, you know, to help advise me on game management so that, you know, I can focus a little bit, right? Um, so there's some of that, but, you know, we've had questions, like, you know, because he's not, uh, you know, he's hired for his offensive mind, but he's not been a play caller. You know, what does that look like for the Vikings' perspective? You know, it's something that, you know, the coaches that he's brought in have helped kind of advise kind of the ways that that can work, but ultimately we're not going to know until the game starts. What, what are your expectations? How do you think that learning curve will be for Coach? 
Um, I, I think it'll be a, a pretty difficult learning curve um, at the beginning, and I think this is true for coaches that even have play calling experience, but especially if you don't, it can be pretty overwhelming to kind of manage all the aspects of a team that you need to manage, check in with the defense, check in with the quarterback, check in with your special teams coordinator, check in with you know everything that's happening upstairs, you know, manage timeouts and challenges and stuff like that, while also keeping in mind hey, I called this play, I didn't call this play, we know what look that they gave us on this play, uh, so let's give them the same formation but run a counter. Something you know, something along those lines. You know, when you're an offensive coordinator, you can devote your entire, you know, uh, you know, mental capacity to that battle, that chess match that's happening on the field. And now, you know, he's not only going to have to do that, which he hasn't really done in the same way before, but also be a coach, you know, talk to referees, you know, do all those things that a head coach has to do during a game. I'm confident that there's going to be some mistakes that occur in season one just as a product of of, of that set of, of pressures. With the first preseason game coming up, Kirk Cousins, he's established himself in the league. No matter how inconsistent he's been, he is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Do you expect to see him just to get those kinks out with the first-time head coach and him play Sunday? Yeah, yeah, expect to see just a little bit, probably not too much, maybe one series. Um, I, I think that, you know, you take a look at how the Rams, uh, you know, deal with their starters. They don't really play them all that often in uh, in the preseason. So I, I wouldn't expect, um, you know, there to be a lot of Kirk Cousins. I wouldn't be surprised to see no Kirk Cousins. But, you know, based off of kind of the history of preseason games, I think we're going to see a little bit. But I think mostly they want to work on things like timing and chemistry and coaching uh, in practice environments and, and not have to worry that much about kind of live game experiences. Talking all things Minnesota Vikings right now with Arif Hassan from The Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Of course, Minnesota is going to be coming into Allegiant Stadium on Sunday to take on the Raiders. It'll be the Raiders' second preseason game, but it'll be Minnesota's first one. Uh, how about Andrew Booth Jr., uh, the, the defensive back out of Clemson? I liked him a lot when he was in college. What have you seen from him so far in training camp? Yeah, um, he's been a really exciting player to watch. He's been pretty up and down. I mean, he's had, you know, kind of – you know, his moments as a rookie where he's trying to figure out the time and what the defense is asking of him, and he's made a couple of mistakes. But, you know, primarily he's like a really aggressive, really confident cornerback, and that shows up in some of his best moments. He's had, you know, interceptions on targets to Justin Jefferson. He's had pretty good coverage against Adam Thielen. You know, these are really exciting things, but he also, there was one practice where he had three pass interference penalties, right? And, and he just kind of has to figure out what works for him. And it's not just handsiness. Sometimes he's arriving a little bit too early. Sometimes he's freelancing a little bit too much. Um, you know, he's somebody that, you know, once it clicks, you can tell – that if it does click and once it does click, you know, he's going to be a really high-level cornerback, but he's just not really there yet. His highs are really high, but his lows are really low, and, and you can managing that balance and trying to tap into what he does best, that's going to be a process as we approach the season. Do you think, with all that being said, that he's a guy that you might see more more playing from during the preseason, not necessarily on Sunday, but just more playing throughout this preseason, just preparing for the regular season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he hasn't even secured the starting job. The guy ahead of him, Cameron Dance, was a veteran, is a third-round um, player from a couple of years ago. You know, he has been somewhat disappointing for the Vikings, but his camp so far has been really phenomenal. It would be really difficult, actually, to unseat him. I wouldn't be surprised if, by week one, you know, Cameron Dance was the starter opposite Patrick Peterson and Andrew Booth is on the bench. I'm sure they might rotate or something along those lines, but, you know, it's not a lock that Andrew Booth is going to start, and I think that given the performances of the people around him, you know, they, they might give that rest phase to Dancer, which is going to give Booth a lot of opportunities in the preseason um, to kind of, you know, shore up his game, make sure that his P's and Q's are all figured out, and make sure that he's got his technique down as well as an understanding of the defense. I mean, he's a smart player, he's a super athletic player, he'll figure it out, but, you know, he's going to have to have those reps, and I think the preseason is perfect for that. 
Arif, when you look at the Raiders, there's a lot of questions along the offensive line. It's kind of like, okay, they're going to go as far as this offensive line is going to take them. I know in Minnesota, uh, from everything I've been reading, it's kind of up and down moments with the O-line. I know Christian Derisaw has been fantastic, but then there's other uh, questions that have been popping up around the offensive line. What's the state of the Vikings offensive line right now? Yeah, the offensive line has been a story for the Vikings since uh, 2010. I mean, we've been talking about it for 12 years now. Um, and so that problem hasn't really been solved. You know, this is probably one of the more optimistic seasons heading in, but there's just two really clear holes along the offensive line. I mean, they're really happy with what they have right tackle, Brian O'Neill. He's one of the better right tackles in the league. Um, they're really excited about, you know, the play that Ezra Cleveland at left guard has been able to do. And Christian Derrissaw in his six or eight starts with the Vikings last year was pretty good, and he's having a really phenomenal camp. And so those three spots are basically situated. You're going to get an average or above average, or even in the case of Brian O'Neill, really high-level play from them. But it's the right guard position where they brought in a couple of free agents, didn't pay him very much. So, you know, they weren't really well regarded by the market and a, a third round rookie um, that, you know, you take a look at kind of where all the draft boards rank them, you know, they, the Vikings might've overdrafted them by about 40 spots. And so they don't really have that competition figured out. We don't know who the right guard is. It's, it's beginning to look like a former Miami Dol- uh, Dolphins guard, uh, Jesse Davis, who, you know, Miami fans don't really have fond memories of. So we'll see how that goes. And then center Garrett Bradbury, who has been, you know, if you trust PFF grades, one of the worst centers in the NFL, for a really long time. Um, and, uh, and you know, he's really smart. He does everything kind of before the snap that you want. But as soon as, it, you know, it's time for him to, you know, engage in pass protection against a stronger player, you know, he kind of collapses a little bit, and that's going to be a continued concern. So those two spots along the offensive line will continue to be worries. I don't think they'll be able to solve it this offseason. Um, and it's going to cause some problems. It's going to continue the trend of Vikings fans being worried about the amount of pressure their quarterback is under. Arif, we've been talking about some players that need to have big games in this preseason game, maybe to secure their spot on the team. And a player for the Raiders, Tyron Johnson, he's been getting a lot of hype in the preseason throughout camp. So who's a player on the Vikings that maybe they're not a certified starter or maybe they're even borderline to make the team, but in camp has looked very impressive? Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of guys like that. I mean, at receiver, for example, you've got Tristan Jackson, who's, you know, an undrafted free agent from last year. You know, he didn't really look good in camp last year. He's had a couple of struggles here, but he's had some really good days that he's stacked together in the past couple of practices. He might make it as a fifth or sixth receiver as a dark horse. Um, at, at the other side of the, uh, of, of the ball, you know, you've got edge rushers where the Vikings have two really high-level starting players and not a lot of depth behind him. And so, you know, probably DJ Wadham's going to make it. Probably Patrick Jones is going to make it. But there's, there might be a fifth edge rusher. And if that's the case, you know, free agent signing Andre Mintz, you know, uh, you know, fourth round pick from last year, Janarius Robinson, uh, maybe a couple of undrafted free agent rookies like Luigi Villan, Zach McLeod. All of them have a really good opportunity to make the team despite not being kind of the traditional profile uh, of somebody who would make the team right away. And, and for me, the dark horse there is probably Andre Mintz. He's had a really excellent camp. You know, he's been able to win in coverage downfield on a couple of instances where you need our outside linebackers to cover. He's been able to win in pass rush situations, of course, which is, you know, it's going to be his primary job. And then he's also been really effective, you know, doing middle hook, you know, zones. He's been effective as a, as a stunt and a twister. He's been really good at making sure that his size disadvantage against offensive linemen doesn't really come up, that he can use his speed and his quickness to make sure that he can get around uh, and put pressure on the quarterback. So those are kind of the two guys that, um, you take a look and you think at first glance they probably won't make the roster, but you know with a strong preseason they've got a really good shot. Talking again with Arif Hassan from the Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty unnecessary roughness and Arif when you start talking about the defensive line I gotta I always gotta go, I have a go to guy that I have to ask about that's James Lynch he's from Baylor I covered him when he was there at Baylor uh, what's he's looking like these days? 
Uh, it's it's not been great for James Lynch. I'll be honest. Uh, I mean, I was really excited. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was really excited when the Vikings drafted him. Um, as you're familiar with, he led the FBS in pressures, um, and that was kind of a split four five technique, strong side defensive end kind of stuff, which is really impressive for a guy his size. The Vikings moved him to the inside when they initially drafted him to be a three technique, and then the Vikings were really low on uh, on nose tackle depth so they had him gain a ton of weight become a nose tackle and he was fine there but you know now there's a new system and now mm. you know the three four is kind of a natural fit for what he does but he can't be a three four nose tackle so you know he's had to change his body a lot to meet the demands of the system and meet the demands of the depth chart and i don't know that it's all there for him he's not had you know the world's best camp or anything like that i'm rooting for him because he's somebody that you know i was really excited by because of his athleticism profile his psychological profile his insane production at baylor um but you know he's been put in a really tough spot i don't even know if i would blame him for not being able to make the team but um you know and, and this happens to a couple of players you know every year where yeah. it's just you know products of circumstance right and so it's been tough for him you know that defensive end spot where you know as a backup there's a lot of competition there whether it's you know james lynch or jalen twyman or um you know even you know hybrids like uh, ty mcgill who can play both nose tackle and, and defensive end or julian taylor's undrafted free agents look pretty good there's a lot of competition there well, there you go. That's why I ask you, you know, because, again, uh, it's it's never easy to continue to switch positions. But, yeah, he was a hell of a player at Baylor. I guess if he doesn't make in, make it in Minnesota, he can always go play for Matt Rule in Carolina if Matt Rule sticks around Carolina. He he brings in everybody from Baylor. So, <laughs> you, know, he, <laughs> right. you know, he brings in everyone that he's very familiar with. Well, a final question for you, Reef, and this has been great. We do appreciate you. Uh, as far as guys like Patrick Peterson, uh, guys like Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith, those veterans that have been there, done that, how much easier is that for the defense? to get acclimated to this new system, having guys that are veterans that know what it looked like being there. Yeah, I think, you know, out of all those guys that you mentioned, I think Patrick Peterson has probably been, you know, the biggest asset, which is not to, you know, ding the other two guys, but Peterson is such a natural leader uh, and has been familiar with so many different defensive systems, knows how to talk to, you know, a locker room, not just, you know, the quarterback room, which he's been really excellent at in terms of helping players kind of move forward and, and, and develop, um, but also just kind of the whole team. I mean, he's so smart when it comes to the way a defense needs to operate that he's got the ability to kind of correct what linebackers are doing or even, you know, what the defensive linemen are doing. You know, he's got such a good understanding of kind of what that everybody's role on a particular defense or a particular defensive call is going to be that, you know, he knows kind of, hey, you know, if you move, you know, like three inches to the right, your pass rush plan is going to be a little bit easier to execute. You know, stuff like that. You know, he's been really excellent uh, in terms of making sure that the transition to a new defense is running smoothly. Um, you know, Zadarius Smith is this really vocal leader. He brings a ton of energy to the team. Uh, and, you know, Daniel Hunter is, is much more quiet player, but a lot of people look up to him. And in terms of like, you know, his work ethic and his ability to kind of bring it every day in the locker room, I, I think that kind of silent leadership uh, is something that he brings that he gets to lead a little bit by example. Well, I, I know they're pretty good dancers. <laughs> or at least they're trying to be pretty good dancers. <laughs> <That's> true, <yeah. laughs> Out there trying to do the kid and play. I can respect that. As a 45-year-old man, I respect seeing a couple grown defensive <laughs> linemen. It was fun to watch. Yes. It was fun to watch, I promise you. I have no doubt about it. Well, Reef, fantastic stuff. Anything coming out in the athletic we need to be looking out for? Well, I just put out, you know, if you want to learn about Vikings, I just put out 58,058 players, so you can check that out at The <laughs> Athletic. Otherwise, I'm going to do a review uh, around the league of what kind of first-round rookies are looking like in camp so far. Will you be out uh, here this way on Sunday? Uh, unfortunately, no, I won't be able oh, to make it. All right. Well, next time you're in Vegas, man, you definitely got to look us up. We do appreciate you in a major way. 
Absolutely. I look forward to it, man. All right. Thanks so much. There he goes. Arif Hassan from The Athletic on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL and breaking down all things uh, Minnesota Vikings. And yeah, he put out that piece on The Athletic, 58 things, uh, 58 players, 58 uh, things about 58 players. Uh, I don't know. I don't have it pulled up, so I don't know the exact title. But yeah, good stuff uh, right there. And nice little preview of, uh, you know, who's coming to town on Sunday in the Minnesota Vikings. And damn it. Why are they messing with my man James Lynch like that? Oh, man, that was that was brutal. I could see it on your face. The, he might not make the team, but something that he did say that football-wise I wanted to look for when he was talking about Mintz and how he is on the defensive line and how yeah. he said when he, the stunts, that's the same move that Brandon Parker got caught up a little bit yeah. with Trayvon Walker. Yeah, so if, that, buddy. if that's something that they're going to be working on and they're good at on the Minnesota side, I want to see how that Raiders offensive line can be able to come How they react that. to it. Because it is something that you saw in the last games, like, ooh, that caught him up right there. That right. led to a sack. Yep, exactly right. Well, good stuff right there from Arif. Definitely appreciate his uh, time this afternoon breaking all things down Minnesota Vikings. 444 is the time. We'll come back, close out the show just that fast, man. Three hours long, three hours strong. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. I found the ultimate one. Been talking about this a lot throughout the course of the show. And this happened organically. It's not like I came into the show trying to pick out Raiders that fans were super high on, and then all of a sudden they really washed out. And sometimes fans get mad. I've, uh, there's been so many times where I try to come at this from not a, a, a fan point of view, but just kind of rational and say, look, this guy, I know that he made some plays here and there, but he really wasn't as good as you know we all think. And like I said before, I've fallen victim to a lot of these guys where I thought, man, this guy was way better than, you know, than this team is getting credit for. And I'm not just talking about the Raiders. I'm just talking in general in the league. Hell, we just talked about James Lynch. I, I just knew I could tell you the story of James Lynch. I'm telling you, I the, the reason why I'm really high on James Lynch, one, I covered him at Baylor, but I saw a little something in him, I think his sophomore year, and I said, man, that, that dude finished the season off really good. So I remember we were doing the preseason like, who's going to be the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year? Who's going to be the newcomer of the year? Like, we were going through all those awards. And so my co-host, who knew everything, and I say that in air quotes, he knew everything about college football, and he's the end-all, be-all. Couldn't, you couldn't tell him squat. He picked somebody from Oklahoma because Oklahoma's his favorite school. He picked someone from Oklahoma to win the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And I was like, I don't know, dude. I think you just overlooked some cat that's right here in our backyard. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, James Lynch. I think James Lynch is going to win the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And he's like, dude, for him. And he told me that just like that, dude, for him to win that, he'd have to get like 10 to 12 sacks and Baylor would have to be a really good team. And I said, I don't think that's, I don't think that's something he can't do. Long story short, he won the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And, and then he told me also, so he never gave me props for that, right? <laughs> that was the first thing. He never said like, hey, that was a good call, Q. And then I said, and then he said, oh, he's going to come back for his senior year. And I said, why? He just won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He's going to go to the league. Strike while the iron's hot. No, he's coming back. He has to come back. Okay. He went to the league. Never gave me props on that either. And even with that being said, coming off being Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, he still didn't go to the fourth round. I mean, that's how difficult it is to get in the league. That's why I was like, you have to go right now. You have to. Strike while you at least have some accolades. Because what if you come back and have a crap season? Then all of a sudden, then what? So anyway, so that's why I've always paid attention to what he's done in the league because he was the guy that I just randomly picked from Baylor to, to win Big 12 player of the defensive player of the year, and he did. And he was a hell of a player. He was, really was good, but you switched him around and you changed positions a bunch and you ask him to gain a bunch of weight then lose weight. I mean, that's not easy for anybody. 
So I don't know what his career is going to look like in the rest of the league, but he's been in the league for a couple of years now, earned a little bit of money. You know, he was a guy that that was Matt Rule's first actual recruit when he was at Baylor. He walked in his living room and said, I'm going to be an NFL coach. If you want to go to the NFL, you'll come to Baylor and play under me. Ooh, what a pitch. And he sold him. And he won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year and went to the league. So <laughs> there's that. You know, sometimes you don't, have to, you don't have to give an elaborate pitch. You just have to tell him the truth and tell him what you're, you're, you're thinking. And it worked. And Matt Rule even told him, like, I'm not going to be a Baylor long. I'm going to go there. We're going to do some good things, and I'm going to go to the league. He did it. That's why I've always respected Matt Rule. He's always been a straight shooter. Always have respected the hell out of him. But we've been talking about players that had a big name, and, and, and fans always wanted to see this guy get more and more and more. How about this name? I actually had to search throughout the commercial break for this guy's name just so I got it right. Remember Rico Gafford? The wide receiver that played with the Raiders, number 10. He was so fast. Rico Gafford, good guy. Excellent guy. He's another guy that people always thought that I just didn't like him. I, it's, I, it's never I don't like anybody. I like everybody. Just I never thought he was that great. I thought he was fast, but that doesn't mean that he's a great football player. So people used to say all the time how much the Raiders messed up by not bringing him back. I don't know how much you've kept up with Rico Gafford this day, these days, but you know what position he's playing and where? I see him in a Packer jersey on his pro football reference. I don't know if he's still with him. He's with him as a cornerback, meaning he's playing defense, meaning he's fast, <laughs> but he's not a wide receiver. <laughs> I'm not hating on him. I hope he succeeds. I'm glad he found a role. Sometimes you got to switch positions. But that's what he is. And he was a wide receiver when he was with the Raiders, and he just, to me, was never that good. But he was fast. You can respect the speed. The player just wasn't fantastic, but everyone, man, the Raiders, they messed up, man. They need to go get Rico Gafford. He just doesn't have enough opportunities. He needs more balls thrown his way. Now, he needs more balls thrown his way as a corner. Hey, <laughs> I got a text because this is always such a good topic. Got a text from my buddy Aaron. Y'all talking about forgotten Raiders? Darius Hayward Bay. Dude was fast as lightning. Yeah, and guess what? Couldn't catch a cold. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> he couldn't. It was a good dude. Better than Rico Gafford, I mean. Well, yeah. He was also a first-round pick. He was Clee Furl. He was drafted higher than he should have been. Not his fault. He was drafted higher than he should have been, and he never was able to live up to expectations. Did he try hard? Hell yes. Does Clee Furl try hard? Hell yes. They worked their tails off. They can't help where they were drafted. Everyone knows Michael Crabtree should have been the pick. Should have been the first wide receiver off the board that year. He couldn't run because he had a foot injury. Darius Hayward Bay could, and he was lightning fast. And they picked him, and it just never worked out. He ended up being a really good special teamer in Pittsburgh. Special teamer, former first-round pick. Now, he did some good things. He had some nice catches with the Raiders. But when you say he had a nice catches, that lets you know he didn't do enough to justify being a first-round pick. But he had wheels. He could run for days. I remember when they drafted him and they did the, the draft profile on him, he was like honorable mention wide receiver out of Maryland. It's like, you know, when that's your, what you do and you're only honorable mention, you're not good enough. 4-3-40, baby. But he could run. He could run like lightning. Great, great text, Aaron. We appreciate you. 4.55 is the time. We'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you wake up with the morning tailgate, 7 to 10 a.m. Radio Nation Radio 920. Peace.